Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Hey, welcome to Crosspoint. My name is Micah. Uh, We're just so glad that you guys could literally be in the house with us today. Those of you who are joining us from home online, we're, so, uh, we're just so glad that we can stay connected in that way. Let us know you're here by commenting in the chat um, section. Hey, you know, today we are starting a new series called Travel Light, and so I'm going to tell you all about it. Uh, as an introduction, you know, this Christmas season, we want to invite you to lay down all your heavy burdens. And, you know, we can often feel weighed down this time of year. This year is harder than any other. You know, we're all carrying really, really heavy things right now. And so whether it's relationships, you know, your regrets, financial pressure, or just the fact that we feel like we're losing control, The goal of this series is to encourage you to hand your burdens over to Christ. And so we believe that there's no time like the present to travel light. And so we're going to start by addressing our material world, our material lives today. And so this week, I'm going to talk to you about your stuff. And so I'm not talking about just anything. I'm I'm, I'm not talking uh, about, uh, you know, we all have our stuff. I'm talking about our material and fiscal wealth. You know, your house, your car, your designer jumper, your Instapot in the kitchen, the family llama, or your favorite shoes. You know, stuff, your things, created stuff. And some of it we need, and other things we just plain want. And so these knickknacks and these retail goods, you know, they can stress us out and, you know, somehow manipulate our emotions. Frankly, I think the pursuit of stuff can just wear us thin. And so... In this situation, it's the disorder of our external lives that can cause chaos in our inner person. And so at face value, you you might be able to say or have the opinion that stuff is just stuff and that's all there is. Um, We live in a material world as a material girl type situation. That might be how you see the world. But the truth is, the materials, you know, material things can take a spiritual toll on us. And if our stuff is not kept in check... It will rule us. And so let me start by telling you a story. You know, two years ago, my brother's life went up in flames. He he was living in this old cabin in the woods outside of Yellowknife in the Northwest Territories where we're from, and this cabin of his was heated by a wood stove. And one morning after he left for work, a fire broke out in the chimney part of his stove, uh, and his home just caught fire. It just went up in blaze. Um, And when he arrived at the scene... All they could do, him and his girlfriend, was watch helplessly as everything they had was consumed by flames. See, my brother and his girlfriend lost things that they could never replace. You know, souvenirs from their international travels, pictures, art, family mementos, footage my brother used and and made and captured as a filmmaker and equipment for his business. And in a moment, they had to let go of everything they own, and they had to walk away from it and start fresh and move forward. But like, honestly, can you imagine that? When my brother told me that, it was hard for me to imagine that. You know, like your house is on fire. Smoke billows through the hallways and and it assaults your senses and you and your loved ones run to safety and you know, what, what do you grab? 
you know, you, we often make these safety plans. Like, you know, if a fire breaks out, this, we're going to grab this, this, the cat, you know, our kids, obviously. Um, but, you know, what can you really afford to save when just life gets hard and it burns down? You know, you make a split decision and you carry the little ones out to the front lawn. You cling together as you watch it all just burn down. You know, the, the truth is, and we're all experiencing this, in this in different ways today is that we will face calamity in our lives and things will catch fire. We will face uncertainty and losing the possibility of losing it all. And so I don't know what I would do if I was in my brother's situation. It was hard for me to imagine when I talked to him on the phone. But I know this. I, I like my stuff. And sometimes I even love some of my stuff. We enjoy the things that we are so fortunate to have. It's, you know, we use things as tools for work and craft. We, we buy things that we need for our families to keep them housed and warm and fed and, and growing. And you know, some things, they help us stay fit and healthy, and they, they are much needed relief when we're stressed out and having a hard time. You know, some things simply just put a smile on our face, like a collection of pig figurines, for example. What purpose does that serve other than just, you know, to chuckle a little bit? If you know another reason, let me know. It's a real question. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if, if we're honest, we can also be attached to some of our things, like, you know, because how they make us feel and what they mean to us. Like your great-grandfather's watch or, you know, the napkin I used to ask my wife to be my girlfriend at Starbucks. I still have that. It means something to me. It's important. And you hold on to them. And, you, and some things that you're really attached to, you couldn't imagine life without. It, so we carry sometimes more than we actually need because of our attachments to these created things. But what does God say about our stuff? And so today we're going to be looking at a passage in the Gospel of Matthew to find out. So if you, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, I'm going to get you to swipe to Matthew. It's the second half of the biblical story, the first book of the New Testament. And more specifically, we'll be looking at an interaction Jesus has in chapter 19. So I'll let you turn to that, swipe to that, look it up. And once you've found Matthew 19, we're, let's just pause and, and step aside. Because first, I think it's important that we build like a biblical framework for a Christian perspective on creation and created things before we continue and look at this passage so we can think biblically. And so we're going to go back to the beginning and review what God's word teaches about created things in Genesis 1 to 3. So first of all, really quickly in review, first of all, God's creation is good. From the very beginning, God created all things and said that they were good. It is good. And then he entrusted them to mankind for us to care for and to enjoy. Things are good. God said so. Second of all, God gave us authority over creation. We are created in God's image, and with that, we carry his authority. It's not ours, it's his, but we carry it. And he intended us to subdue the earth and have dominion over its creatures and things. And that's not it. God intended that we would do good things with those things things, like be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue and, and, and submit it. So things are not bad. They're good, and we can use them. Third of all, sin is what changed our relationship with created things. 
And so because of the fall, sin entered God's creation in Genesis 3, and the good things, they were tainted by sin's effects. And so sin has separated us from the creator and how, and, then, and now created things are no longer in their proper place in our lives, and, they, and they're not serving their proper function. Instead, we're now inclined to worship creation instead of the creator. Uh, to explain this more, um, in his book, We Become What We Worship, G.K. Beely describes the systematic idolatry that committed by the people of God in their relationship with created things. Let's, re- let's read what he writes in his book. He says, In Genesis 1, God created humans to be imaging beings who reflect his glory. What did God's people in the Old Testament, Israel, reflect, whether consciously or unconsciously? We will see that what they resembled in their sinful disobedience. As we see what they reflected, we should ask ourselves whether we reflect anything similar in our culture today. What do you and I reflect? One presupposition of this book is that God has made humans to reflect him. But if they do not commit themselves to him, they will not reflect him but something else in creation. And at the core of our being, we are imaging creatures. It is not possible to be neutral on this issue. We either reflect the creator or something in creation. Let me say this one more time just so you understand. Created things in themselves are not bad. See, God made creation. It was good. Creation is actually a testimony of the greatness of God. But now we trade the truth for a lie. In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul actually takes on this issue. He wrote in chapter 1 of Romans, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that the people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, for stuff. And so the question we might be asking ourselves today is, if things are not inherently bad, what does God want us to do about the stuff in our lives? How do we mend the relationship with creation that God intended us to have? And so Jesus addresses this issue in Matthew chapter 19, and verse 16. And so let, let's pick up the story here as Jesus is teaching and healing on the road. And as he goes, the crowd follows him into Judea and across the Jordan. And among them were disciples and teachers of the law of Moses and other nosy followers and fans, okay? And all of these people, they were curious about Jesus. They had questions. That's why most of them were following him. Even the disciples had questions for Jesus. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law of Moses, would test Jesus with their questions. And that is until one rich young ruler approaches Jesus with a single and honest question. And so this is where we enter the narrative in chapter 19, verse 16. So let's read Matthew's account together here, starting in verse 16. He writes, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And the young ruler said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, 
Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he was, went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And so Jesus then turns to his disciples and he says, Truly I say to you, only with great difficulty will the rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Wow. Let me just point out that today that this is the trustworthy word of God and uh, let's, let's pray that we'd receive it with open ears and, and eyes today. Can you pray with me before we continue? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we just ask that uh, you would instruct us today uh, with um, some direction about what to do with our stuff. Uh, speak to us today and give us direction. Bring to mind what we need to do in our own lives as we seek to restore our relationship with creation and created things, and most of all, with our Creator. Uh, and we love you for it. Amen. Amen. So what, what is happening in this passage is the question we want to ask next. And to understand what's going on here, I want you to understand the rich young man in the story. And so this man is about probably 20 to 40 years old, and he's in the prime of his youth. And, and, and with that youth comes all its associated ambition and desires. Also, the young man is, addresses Jesus as teacher, so making it likely that he was probably a lay leader, at least in the religious community. We could assume he belongs to a group of Pharisees that were there questioning Jesus. And this is a safe assumption due to his meticulous observance of the Mosaic law that we find in the, their conversation. He says, all these I have kept. And as part of his devotion, it's likely that he was generous and he donated to the ministry of the synagogue and to the poor and all the associated outreaches. And more so, despite his youth, the other Gospels assign this young man with the title ruler. So it's also possible he was part of the ruling affluent retainer class that existed during the Roman occupation in Palestine. And so in short, just so we understand who this guy is, he was a young, devout, religious, and wealthy ruler. This man was the very picture of faith and success, yet he knew something was missing. Why? What was missing? Well, let me tell you, in the young man's story, you discover the power of stuff. It's an example of how our external world might shape our internal lives. For instance, in the case of the rich young ruler, he did everything right, but he still loved his possessions more than he loved Jesus. He found security in them. And so in the same way, this is how our attachment to created things can, and, our, and our stuff can be modern idolatry. You might be asking, how is the rich young ruler's love for his stuff, idolatry? Well, that's because we need to have a broader definition of idolatry that cuts to the heart of the issue, which is Genesis 3, our fallen sin nature. Our relationship has been changed. G.K. Beely again defines idolatry simply as this, and this is our working definition for today. 
Idolatry is whatever your heart clings to or relies on for ultimate security. The idol is whatever claims the loyalty that belongs to God alone. So with that in mind, with that definition, what can we learn from the rich young ruler's tragic story and his idolatry of stuff? I'm going to say it one more time. Your stuff is not bad, but we see with the rich young ruler, it can shape your life. The external can shape the internal. Like Bili would say, you become what you worship, what you revere, you resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. So if we go back to Romans 1, like Paul says, therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. See, in the same way, we have exchanged the eternal for the temporal, the truth for a lie, the creator for something in creation. We observe this in the life of the young rich ruler and sometimes in our own lives. So what can we learn today about the rich young ruler? Well, you can find three lessons. First of which is that his story shows us that your stuff will not save you. Your stuff won't save you. Even though this young man had everything, he was looking for a way to secure eternal life. But at the same time, he was unwilling to give it up to get it, give up his stuff to get the eternal life that Christ was offering. And so in the end, even though he knew his stuff was not enough to save his soul, he walked away from Jesus. You know, the lie the the world tells us is that we need to go out and get what we need. Go and get it. You know, we're, we are so used to certainty and control. That's why, like, right now in this time in history, it is so difficult. You can order a lasagna to your front deck. Isn't that amazing? With a single click, you can have whatever you want, and it will come to you. And with every purchase is accompanied by an empty promise that it will make everything okay. If I have this, I will be happy and secure, and I'll feel worthy and in control. But your good deeds and your good stuff will not save you, both presently or in the future. When the young man asked Jesus, you know, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus addresses this issue directly because this man is asking the wrong question. Jesus says in verse 17, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. In other words, Jesus is saying that when it comes to salvation, there is no good thing, good deed, or person except one. Only Jesus keeps and accomplishes the Mosaic law, the entire thing, both inwardly and outwardly. And as a result, it's only through our belief and our relationship with Jesus that we can have eternal life. Now, let's pause for a second. I want to talk about something. And this is something I want you guys to grapple with and understand. First of all, we cannot commodify Jesus. He is not something that we can control or possess or consume. You know, just like in in human relationships, sometimes believers can objectify God, whether it's the, the Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit. And so why do we do this? Well, I have a hunch. Let's think about this for a second. 
It might be because the tools that we use to understand God lend themselves sometimes to consumeristic thinking. And for example, look at this picture. This is a nice cup. Isn't it a nice cup? Yeah, that's a good cup. And you know, sometimes a cup is a really good teaching tool. In the Word of God, many of the Spirit-inspired authors use pictures to explain the functions and the work of God in our lives. For example, like asking Christ to come into our heart or the Holy Spirit to fill us like we were a cup or a vessel. Don't get me wrong, I love these pictures and they really have helped me understand God. I embrace them. They are visual theology that help us see and understand the truth about God a lot better. But be careful. We can be too attached to these pictures. So don't take these images at face value. Instead, what we need to know is that these are are scriptural examples of spatial analogies. These are imperfect visual comparisons of two things to explain or clarify. But what are these analogies really trying to explain? Let me tell you, this is important, so don't miss this, because you're going to chew on this for a while. The pictures of accepting Christ into your heart or being filled with the Holy Spirit are spatial analogies that describe a relational capacity. They're visuals that help us understand a relational capacity. These pictures only symbolize how intimate our relationship with God is at a given time. In other words, it's not about what you possess, or even who you possess. It's about who you know. We can objectify people. We can objectify God. Because why? I understand. It is easier to have a relationship with things than people. That's the honest truth. But God is spirit, and his glory cannot be contained. The Holy Spirit cannot be caught or kept or trapped. Jesus is a divine person. What he offers, we cannot earn it. We cannot control it. We cannot buy it. We can only have it through a relationship with him. His goodness cannot be consumed. He can only be followed. And he invites us to come. So, you know, your relationship today, let me tell you, it is more important than any possession you could ever have. So don't let anything, anything, get between you and Jesus. Your stuff cannot save you. Only Jesus can. But there's more to this than that. It's not just about saving us. It's also about satisfaction. Jesus has more to teach us in his interaction with the rich young ruler. The second lesson we can learn from the tragic story of the rich young ruler is that your stuff will never be enough. It will not be enough. See, this man, for example, followed God's law to a T. He probably was kind and and loving and generous. And he probably donated money and built houses and prayed and fasted and went to synagogue every day. He probably even was a good guy and did good things. But it still wasn't satisfying for him. Why? Because the problem here with the rich young ruler is that he's a self-made man. You see, in the, the lie the world tells us is that we should satisfy ourselves. And often we do that by consuming things. Food, online shopping. Can anyone say retail therapy right now? What does your checkout cart look like right now? 
We've all been there. But, you know, can created things really provide us the satisfaction that we need? True satisfaction. Well, the rich young ruler's life shows us that this just isn't true. In fact, modern studies agree. For example, you know, in one study facilitated by researchers Richens and Dawson's on consumer values and materialism and its measurement in 1992, they found this. In validation tests, high scores compared with low scores desired a higher level of income, placed greater emphasis on financial security and less on interpersonal relationships. That's very interesting. Preferred to spend more on themselves and less on others. Engaged in fewer voluntary simplicity behaviors and were less satisfied with their lives. But that's not it. In, a, in another recent study on materialism and its relationship with life satisfaction by Ryan and Derwick in 2001, they also found this. Materialism is negatively related to life satisfaction. If that's all there is, it's not satisfying. A negative relationship was found in that those individuals were high in materialism, were less satisfied with their life as a whole, and with specific life domains than those who were low in materialism. The bottom line is this, is that stuff will always leave you feeling empty. You can bet on it. Think about this for a second. You can go to the mailbox every day to see if your Amazon package has arrived, if you're like me. And that anticipation can be so intense. And you will silently envy your wife and your neighbors when they get packages at the door for them and they're not for you. And even when you get the stuff that you've been waiting for, it won't be like you imagined. It, it, it won't make you happy. It won't fill that empty space. See, the rich young ruler understood that feeling. He did all the things right. He played by all the rules. He had everything a person could want in earthly standards. Yet he comes to Jesus and says, what do I still lack? What don't I have? But see, Jesus is the only one who can provide us lasting eternal satisfaction. For example, Jesus you know, promises the Samaritan woman in John 4 true satisfaction. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. This stuff, you'll be thirsty again if you have that. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Listen, anything from anyone or anywhere else will only leave you unsatisfied and empty. Jesus saves and satisfies, but he also wants to rule, even over your stuff. And that's why the third and final lesson we learn from the tragic story of the rich young ruler is that left unchecked, your stuff can rule you. See, for the rich young ruler, it was his love for material wealth that decides his fate. He has proof that you can do all the right things and follow all the rules, yet you can fall short in your relationship with Jesus because your affections do not belong to him, but instead to your stuff. The lie the world tells us is that you can buy control and self-rule. But the truth is when you put your trust in things, they always will fail you. The irony of this is that the things that you desire most could be your destruction. Our stuff can rule us, but they make really poor masters. For example, studies don't only show that the pursuit of material security is not only accompanied by 
unhappiness, but also substance abuse, which in other words means too much stuff. You know, those of you who, who were addicts or are addicted now or know somebody that is, you know how controlling things can be over you. You know, see, I've lived in, in addiction in the past, and I can tell you for sure that it can take over your life. And it's not just drugs. It, it can be other commodified and objectifiable items like sex or clothing or cars or social presence, food. But let me tell you something. Make sure you write this down today. This is the most important takeaway that I have for you. The truth is this. Either Christ rules over your stuff or your stuff will rule over you. Let me say that one more time. Either Christ rules over your stuff or your stuff will rule over you. There is something, friends, that I do want to be clear about. Just a disclaimer. Don't, don't start a bonfire tonight and make an oath of poverty, okay? Uh, that's not what we're going for. Stuff isn't bad. But one common thread throughout the story of God is this. Less is more. In his wisdom, you know, Solomon writes, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. It's better just to have one handful of what we need than two of just struggle and suffering. You know, I, this is why I believe that I, I, I think that it was worth it for Abraham to leave everything to seek and pursue the promise, how a lowly shepherd like David could be a king after God's own heart, why John the Baptist decreased so Jesus could increase. Even in the kingdom of God, the poor are called blessed. Less is more. And, wh and why, how, how is less so much more? Well, let me tell you really quickly in three ways. Because we will spend less time collecting stuff and more time pursuing God. Less time medicating our deepest needs with things and more time submitting ourselves to Christ. Less time hoarding up treasures on earth and more time building up God's eternal kingdom. Because, you see, when we're not burdened by things, Christ can truly be the Lord of our lives. When we're not attached to things in a way that is bad for us and shaping us in the negative aspect, we can make him king of all. And when we submit our things to Christ, we can discover what we call the irreducible minimum, our irreducible minimum. Let me explain what that is. When it comes to stuff in our lives, minimalism is not just about anti-materialism. It's not merely about quantity or the aesthetics or actually the material itself. It's so much more than decluttering your house and reducing your environmental impact or maintaining what sparks joy, although those things are important. Instead, it's ongoing audit in our lives about their usefulness, the things, how useful they are and what they are doing to us. In this way, minimalism can help us better understand ourselves. For example, look at this picture. You know, a good desk is a valuable thing. It can do so many things. You can use it to do some really good stuff. You know, but even if you flip it over and tear out the drawers and empty it out, it is still a desk. 
Even if you tear it to pieces and make it, reduce it to splinters, it was a death that can never be taken away from it. This demonstrates what an irreducible minimum is when we're reduced to our base elements. Like, you know, Pastor Greg Rochelle says, you know, think of it this way. Are we accumulating on earth what we cannot keep or investing in heaven what you cannot lose? The thing that can't be taken away, the irreducible minimum. You know, for followers in Christ, who we are and what we have in Jesus can never be taken away. Minimalism can help believers in Christ find their personal minimum and discover the single most important truth in their lives, which is that Jesus is always enough. You know, sometimes, like many of us right now, when we're stripped to our minimum, we find that the minimum is exceedingly enough. And then is then we are able to maximize who is truly important. Let me tell you, that is Jesus. You will always be enough, even if that's all you have. And so today, you might be asking, what, what should I do about my stuff then? And, and that's a great question. So today, as we transition to our, a time of reflective prayer, I'm going to invite Ian up to play some piano to help us focus and I want to lead you in an exercise and some guiding questions to help you discern what you should do about the stuff in your life. And so to do, to do this, we're going to use a meditative exercise. This exercise is normally used to memorize ideas, and this is done by visualizing a familiar room from your house or something like that in your head and furnishing it with memorable items. And then what you do is you take the items and you use them to symbolize the ideas that you want to remember. And so before we do this, I want to get you guys to close your eyes. So everyone just close your eyes. No one's looking at you. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to you today. That he would talk to you about your stuff. Now, now I want you to think of a familiar room in your house. Maybe it's the kitchen, the bedroom, the living room, the garage. Think about that room. What does it look like? What color paint does it have? Now, instead of memorizing ideas, I'm going to ask you to furnish the room with things that you have or things that you want. Maybe your living room has a TV, but you want a bigger and better one. Put that in your room. Nobody can see your room, so you don't have to be shy. Include some of your favorite things. Include some of the things that you have in excess. Or maybe even some things that you know you don't need. I want you to ask yourself this. What do your things say about you?
What is one thing that you couldn't imagine living without? What does that reveal to you? Now with all your eyes closed and still visualizing your familiar room surrounded by all your things and the things you want, whether you're here in the room or at home, I want you to ask yourself, how are my things shaping me? Do they add value? Do they stress you out? Do they leverage you beyond your means? Are they a waste of time? Are they good for you? Are they good for the environment? God's creation? While you're still visualizing that familiar room, surrounded by all your stuff, I want to ask you, perhaps most importantly, ask yourself this, where is your stuff taking you? Are you stuck? Tied down? Is those things in that room that you're surrounded by bringing you closer to or further from Christ? Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to invite Christ into your room. What things do you need to give to him? What things do you need to lay down at his feet? Or maybe what thing has stolen your affections for Christ? Be honest. You can tell him. Just you and him in that room. Perhaps today you just need to know what you need to do to build the eternal kingdom rather than the material kingdom. Let him tell you. Be open to what he's telling you right now. Let me pray for you before we close today. Jesus, we, uh, we confess that we have been in love with our things and we want to come back to you. And uh, we just ask that you would bring to mind all the things that we need to put in their proper place. And we once again profess that you are Lord of our lives and our stuff. And we want to put you first today and every day. 
work in us, we pray, and work through us to build your eternal kingdom for your namesake, Jesus. We love you, and we're so thankful for it. And everyone said... Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.